and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Today obviously looks a little different. We're doing what we like to call Young Communicator Weekend. And so if you guys want to come on up, um, we have some young communicators. You can give it up for them. <clears throat> this is something that as a, as a body, as a church, we, we believe in. We, we, we want to empower young communicators to, to, to speak and to, to get on a stage and practice speaking because as we send them out into the world, they're creating more disciples who love Jesus. And so our goal is that as they grow here, that we get to continue to see them grow outside of these four walls as well. So um, just an awesome opportunity. Pastor Mark and I have got the chance to work with all of these fine young men and women on their messages, and they have to finish their message in seven minutes or less. So it's going to be quick. You got to pay attention, but we're so honored you guys are here. Parker, kick it off. Testing, one, two. Good morning, church. Good morning. So as we were back in Pastor Mark's office, we were going over order of service and everything. And Pastor Duel said, if you guys are nervous, just picture everyone in their underwear. So that being said, Pastor Duel, you're looking great this morning. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, I have a question for you guys. Has anyone in here ever seen or read Lord of the Rings? A couple of you. All right. I, I'm not a big fan, but I know a lot of people are into it. But when I was in the eighth grade, I was in a class where all we did for the entire semester was watch Lord of the Rings. Now, there's like three movies. They're each like 12 hours long. So it took the entire semester to watch these three movies. But something our teacher told us before we started was <clears throat> in order to fully understand and enjoy the movie, we have to suspend our disbelief, meaning that there might be some things that happen in the movie that can't happen in real life. And I think we're all guilty of it. Like we're watching the movie and there's a guy with a six shooter, but he shoots like 28 bullets before he reloads. And we always call it out, right? That can't happen. But our teacher told us that in order to enjoy the movie, we have to suspend our disbelief. And I feel like in our lives, we have to suspend our disbelief when it comes to God. And please don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. But what I mean is we have these worldly ideas or these human thoughts that make sense when you look at them through a worldly perspective, but they're not necessarily true when it comes to the Bible. Does that make sense? You all with me? Awesome. So um, there's a few verses in Proverbs that put this into more elegant biblical words. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 3. If you don't have your Bibles, mine's under my chair over there. Go get it. You guys can share it. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 reads, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So what I'm saying here is we have to stop relying on what we think we believe, but instead put our trust in God. Amen? Okay. And I feel like there's a lot of stories in the Bible where we see these verses played out. You know, David doesn't rely on his own understanding, but he puts his trust in God and he kills a giant. Noah doesn't rely on his own understanding, but he trusts in God and he builds the ark. We see these stories where people stop relying on what they think they know, but they instead put their trust in God and amazing things seem to happen. Amen? Okay. So there's one example of people who trusted in the Lord with all their heart and didn't rely on their own understanding that I'd like to share. And it's found in Acts 16. I just recently read it with Pastor Mark and he broke it down for me. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through it. I'm going to tell you guys everything he told me and pretend I came up with it. Sound good? Awesome. So Paul and Silas, and Acts is written by Luke, and he's with Paul and Silas. So it's written from a first-person point of view. So when he says things like us or I, he's talking about himself. 
Luke. Okay, so Paul and Silas and Luke are out there. They're spreading the word. They're teaching about Jesus. They're building the church. But in their travels, they come across a little slave girl who's possessed by a demon that lets her tell the future. And her masters are using her and profiting off of her as like a fortune teller. Okay, so Acts 16, 17, and 18 reads, She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it instantly left her. So Paul gets so annoyed with his little girl that he says, In the name of Jesus Christ, be quiet. And the Lord delivers. So, Husbands, don't try this on your wives. It does not work the same way. If we keep reading, it says her master's hopes of wealth of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Now, I like how Luke, when he's talking about the slave girls, like she was following us. But as soon as Paul and Silas get in trouble, he's nowhere to be found. Uh, verse 20 reads, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped, beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeons and clamped their feet in the stocks. So, Paul and Silas are teaching the good news. They're spreading the word of Jesus. They cast a demon out of a little girl. And in return, they get stripped, beaten, and thrown in jail. Now, it would be my understanding that if this were to happen, they would probably be a little angry, right? I would be a little angry, but let's keep reading. Acts 16, 25, and 26 says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. So what were they doing? They were singing hymns to God and they were praying. This is a perfect example of two guys who have suspended their disbelief. No matter what the world tried to do, they kept praying. They kept singing. They kept praising God. And what happened? The chains were broken. And this is something Pastor Mark pointed out to me. I'll give him credit. It doesn't just say Paul and Silas's chains were broken, right? It says everybody's chains were broken. So this just goes to show if you stop relying on what you think is true and you put your faith in Jesus and you start living for Jesus and you start taking the path that Jesus has set for you, no matter what jail cell you end up in, you're going to change the lives of people around you. So some of the teachings that Jesus taught don't really make sense when you look at them from a human perspective or from a worldly point of view. Um, like Jesus teaches us not to worry, right? But as humans, it's hard not to worry. Jesus teaches us to give, but as humans, we want to take for ourselves. And Jesus teaches us to forgive those who have wronged us when the world thinks that we should seek revenge. And even as he hung from the cross, he said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. It takes a lot of faith to not rely on your own understanding. But let's be honest, humans are dumb. We're not smart. What we think is true is constantly changing. But the Holy Spirit is timeless and it never changes. And the Holy Spirit that freed Paul and Silas and the slaves is the same Holy Spirit that worked in this place today. So when you stop relying on worldly ideas and instead put your trust in God, put your faith in God, your chains will break too. Amen. Good morning. As you all know, um, 
as most of you probably know. My name is Oakley, and I'm so glad I get to be up here today talking to everyone. And, you know, I haven't been very kind to my family, and God has been telling me that. And I'm so glad I get to share this with all of you. And just thanks, Mark. <laughs> so before I get started, I have one question to ask you all. How many of you struggle with showing kindness to others? Okay, I guess me only, me and only a few people are the only spiritual ones who don't like church. Let's try this again. <laughs> I want to show fans if you struggle with showing kindness or being kind. That's better. I do, I do more than I want to admit at times. And as most of you know, my mother started homeschooling me and my brothers this year, brothers this year. And being around them 24 seven can really get me frustrated sometimes. <laughs> In fact, as I think back, there have been many times where I've been downright mean to them, hitting them, punching them, pinching them, calling them names, and that was just yesterday. <laughs> Perhaps as I am saying all this, you have thought of a time where you weren't very kind to someone. Maybe you haven't said something very nice to your child or spouse. Or maybe you struggle with showing kindness to people who get on your nerves easily. Or maybe I could go as far as saying you struggle with showing kindness to people who are in need. Let's take a look at Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Now let's read a story about an act of kindness in Luke 22, 47 through 51. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to greet Jesus with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords, and one of them struck at the high priest's slaves, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this, and touched the man's ear and or touched the man and healed him. So basically what just happened right there was Judas was going to betray. Jesus, or he was going to give them Jesus, the Romans. And for, and they, for, for money, like, and then he, they, though, <laughs> Jesus took the time to heal him even when he was about to arrest him and put him on the cross. And um, how can we apply this to our lives? So the next time you're at work and faced with that coworker who gets on your nerves easily, <laughs> you should ask them how their day is going. Or the next time you wanna say something mean to your child or spouse, stop and ask them how their day is going. Or the, and the next time you see someone in need, maybe stop and help them, pray over them, talk to them. Happy, 
joyful. That's what the world would be like if we all took the time to put others first before ourselves. Our key scripture also promises favor in the eyes of God if we are kind to others. Thank you. Hey guys, uh, my name is Hudson Akins, and uh, the verse that I'm going to be doing my seven-minute spiel over is Proverbs 21.3. Uh, Proverbs 21.3 just says, uh, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Whew. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Uh, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. If you were to ask any Christian how to be a better Christian, they'd probably tell you uh, one of a couple of things. Um, pray. Go to church more, read your Bible more. Uh, if you were to ask them, how do we get closer to God? Probably get the same answer. Uh, how do we have a stronger relationship with God? Probably the same answer. And all those things are great. Please don't stop doing those. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this proverb and a host of other verses like Isaiah 111 and Micah 6, 6 have a different answer to those questions. The answer they give is morality and justice. See, of course, of course, God loves sacrifice. Of course, he wants us to pray. Of course, he wants us to read our Bibles. And of course, he wants us to go to church. That's obvious. But the point is similar to that of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, uh, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. See, what you may be noticing is the, the first verse I read, uh, to do what is right and just is more acceptable, acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And the term sacrifice doesn't mean a literal sacrifice. Like you're not jumping in front of a bullet for somebody. When Solomon wrote this proverb, back then the religious ritual would have been to cleanse your sins. You take an animal, you build an altar, and you put the animal on it, and uh, you, you burn it as an incense to God. And, and that was the sacrifice, right? But since Christ died on the cross, we don't exactly have to do that anymore. And so now our religious ritual is something like going to church or helping wheel fed on Fridays or something of that nature, right? And, and so what this verse is saying is, you can go to church, you can go to wheel fed, you can raise your hands in worship but without the morality and justice of it. It's not worth near as much. See, even if someone's not a believer, any civilized society has to be responsible in doing what is right and being morally just, right? However, the difference between non-believers and us is in how we value these, or is it not that we value these things, but in how righteousness and justice relate to our spiritual obligations, how they, how righteousness and justice relate to us coming to church, how righteousness and justice relate to us helping others, right? And obviously, it's not just being practical for like the, the good of society, because you have to be morally right and just in order to further humankind. But, but more foundationally, we know justice is built into the fabric of the cosmos and reflects the character of God. We're not trying to please the gods. We have a spiritual obligation to be godlike. And this is not accomplished by religious rituals, but by repentance, reformation, and ethical behavior and personal holiness. I'm a pastor's kid or a former pastor's kid, always a pastor's kid. Um, and my, my parents before that, they were missionaries. So I, I was raised in the church and some of you may have a similar story. And, and so to me, growing up and even till a couple of years ago, my idea of being a good Christian was these things, was these sacrifices, right? Going to church, raising your hand, dressing up real nice on Easter, or else your mom might send you to one of those two places. Um, and 
And so reading a verse like this, when you still think that way, hits you like a truck, man. Because you thought for the past, your entire life, right? You've been living right with God. You've been trying to build yourself up towards God. And to hear something like that and to hear that maybe all those things you've been doing have been empty and hollow, it hurts. And it's a punch, church. But, but here's the thing. Few human behaviors are more open to this criticism than religious behavior. Right, a vast array of worship practices from the largest superstitions to, to the smallest prayer is under superstition from men. And when I say men, I mean non-believers. I want you to think about uh, somebody you know that either has never gone to church or is not a believer. And imagine them coming in here during a really spiritual worship session where everyone's just got their hands in the air down on their knees crying to God, right? And if they don't understand the morality and justice behind that, they're going to look at that and they're going to think it's just like a foolish illusion. But here's the thing, church, if we're doing those things, if we're on our knees screaming out to God, right, if we're coming to church, if we're helping others, but we don't understand the morality and justice behind it, church, it is just a foolish illusion. Some of the time, religion can be an attempt to avoid the living God. We tend to create rituals, rites, and ethical systems to justify our existence, to ease our conscience, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to church. I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because I'm going to church and I help on Fridays, right? It's to make us feel good, like, like we're doing the religious thing and to ease our sense of guilt. When, when, we're doing these things, when we're doing these things, we're focusing too much on the what and not enough on the why behind it, right? When we do these things, we're trying to get right with God. Here's the thing, church. God's already gotten right with us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ. To continue to work for our own justification instead of just accepting the justification God gives us is the essence of this foolish illusion, right? And it stinks in God's nostrils. Isaiah 1.13 through 15 says, stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offering disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they're all sinful and false. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims, right? Stop bringing these meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Church, I, I want us to start looking inward on why we do these Christian things, right? Do, do we raise our hands in worship because we're filled with the Holy Spirit? Or, or do we do it because the person next to us did it first? Because as previously stated, there is no purpose in going to church, no purpose in praying over a meal, no purpose in raising your hands in worship if there's no meaning behind it. Church, I challenge you to start focusing less on pleasing man by, by focusing on the what and more on pleasing God and focusing on the why. Hudson out here just throwing punches left and right, right? We, we love a good punch and a hug. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bailey Totten, and I've been at DCM for about a year. It'll actually be a year. Next Monday, I'm a, DY, yeah, I'm a DYA leader, and as many of you in the room know, I actually just graduated college with my degree in teaching a few weeks ago. Yeah, thank you. And for those of you wondering, no, I still don't have a job. 
Um, and, and we laugh. It, it, it is funny, especially if you know me, because by nature, I'm a planner. You know, I say, let me check my calendar when you ask to grab Mexican food on a Friday night. I have two color coded planners. I do know what I'm doing next weekend. And I once was two minutes late for a meeting and Pastor Mark and Pastor Josh almost called the police to file a missing persons report. Um, you know, I remember I graduated high school and I had this color coded Excel spreadsheet and it was my five year plan. And I'm going to tell you my five year plan. I actually looked last night. It was to get married this summer and we were going to honeymoon in Greece and I was going to move to Florida and I was going to teach at a title one school. And as you can see, none of those things have happened. You know, even six months ago, if you would have told me I didn't have a job lined up at the end of May for the fall, I would have laughed about it when you asked me about it in the lobby on Sundays. And it would have looked like I was holding it with open hands. But if you got too close, you would have seen me white knuckling this idea of what I thought I wanted. And how many of the planners in the room can relate to that? You're like, holler, I feel you, girl. Because you have your desktop calendar and you have your spreadsheets and you had a plan and it made sense and it looks good, and it met other people's expectations. And then you got that diagnosis. Or maybe you didn't get that promotion. Maybe your husband left or Mr. Wright never showed up, whatever it was. And all of a sudden, your plans and your life don't match up at all. And we stand here and we're like, whenever you want to cue me in, Lord, I'll be right here. I'll wait right here. When you, I'll take the next step when I know the next step. But Proverbs 19.21 tells us that you can make many plans, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. And I think sometimes we miss out on the joy of that statement because we forget that we serve a God who only has good purposes and plans. We serve a God whose plans are big and they are bold for your life. They are good. They are immeasurably more. They are plans to harm. They are plans to prosper you, not harm you. They are plans for hope and a future. We should want his plans to prevail. But you hear that, you hear us say it on Sundays, or maybe you read these promises, and in the back of your head, we hear this little voice, and this little voice says, but what if his plans don't pay rent? What if his plans can't provide for my family? But our boy Jesus knew we would say this, and so of course, he had something to say about it. Jesus says in Matthew 6, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And I know it's so hard to see, and I know it's even harder to feel sometimes, but the Lord has good and big plans for your life. And a part of his good plans is to take care of you better than our spreadsheets ever could have. Amen. Amen. But, you know, I do know that not everyone's a planner. The more I kind of get into the world, the more I realize not everyone's a type A planner like me. And so maybe you don't resonate with that, right? And you hear these plans and purposes the Lord has for you. And you're not thinking about your plans, but you're thinking about something that happened in the past. Maybe you're like a coworker of mine I saw recently walking through the season of, I'm going to say I love God and I'm going to church on Sundays. But in the end, I could tell she was wrestling with something. There was something that kept her from walking in the freedom of the cross. What I didn't know was that at the age of 21, she was in college. She was in a relationship. She was scared and she got pregnant. And they made the choice to terminate the pregnancy. And for two decades... That one day, that one decision made her feel dirty and disqualified for what the Lord wanted to do in and through her. That The enemy used that one sin 
to stop her from walking in the faith. Maybe that resonates with you. Maybe it's that divorce or that addiction or that criminal record, or maybe by nature you're a liar. I don't know what it is. But as I stand here today, you go, that's great. He has plans, Bailey, but I blew him a long time ago. But I am here to remind you and encourage you on this Sunday morning that the second you accept salvation is the second you become a new creation. That brokenness, that shame, that sin, it has to leave. A new life is here. And if that is the only thing you take out of today, let it be that you are covered in the blood of Christ and he loves you and you are made clean and he has purposes for your life. But, you know, we don't always walk perfectly after we accept salvation, right? We, we kind of mess up and slip up here and there. But we serve a good God who still corrects those. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And church, it doesn't say he works all things together when it's easy to work together. It doesn't say he works all things together for those who rarely mess up. There's only one contingency attached to the grace that works all things together for good. And that one contingency is that you love him, that you pursue him. What does Matthew 6 and Romans 8, 28 have in common? It all circles back to this one idea. And it's this idea of our pursuit of Jesus Christ. If we love him and if we seek first the kingdom, he will provide all of our needs. If we love him, he will work all things together for good for those who love him. If we stop looking at the worries ahead of us and we stop looking at the past behind us, we will realize the Lord cares about now. He cares about your desires now. He wants to be with you here and now. It is when we are aggressively committed to our spiritual disciplines and we walk out the daily process of true surrender that we see the Lord is in everything. He's in your messed up plans and he's in your mistakes. He has purposes and a plan for your life that your schedule and your past cannot and will not change because you can make many plans, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. All you have to do is love him. Ooh. They're going to preach to some authority up here. It's, it's awesome. I love it. Um, for some of you to know me, some of you don't, my name is Sean. I'm a leader at DYA. Also on Sundays, I play in the drums in the cage. And for some reason, they let me out of my cage and gave me a mic. So we'll see how that goes. Not sure whose plan that was. Um, I'm going to go back to the basics. We're going to be talking about uh, the importance of friendship and more important, like community, who we surround ourselves with, um, who we spend the most time with. Um, we know the importance of it. We've seen the statistics. We know it in their daily lives. We see how people affect us. Either they're going to bring us up or they're going to tear us down. We walk into work and we could be having the best day ever. We said our prayers before we came to work, did our little devotion. We're in all good moods. And all of a sudden, grumpy Gary comes in the room, right? He comes in. Oh, I just hate this life. Like, this job sucks. It's raining all the time. I don't get paid enough. And before you know it, we just start getting upset and we're sad. Same thing happens. We can come in in a bad mood and we're just down in the dumps and we all have that joyful Judy, right? And we know who that is. And walks in the door and everything's great. Hey, how everybody, how's everybody doing? And we're like, oh gosh, please don't talk to me. And sure enough, they come over, Sean, how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> you don't want to hear it, but before you know it, you're smiling and you don't know why. Every, people influence us. It's, a, it's known to be true. Uh, there's a famous quote, um, Jim Rohn always says, I'm sure you've heard it, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. The Bible confirms that over and over again. It tells us all the time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 it says, bad company corrupts good character. Even if you have good character, if you have bad people coming in your life, they're going to corrupt you. They're going to bring you down. 
Uh, Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. It's important. We have to be diligent with who we're around and we need to make sure that that's a priority. My key scripture is Proverbs 27, 17. And I love it. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So who we spend the most time with is important. We have to take this serious. So two things are going to happen with the people that we surround ourselves with. They're going to either build us up or tear us down. There's no in between. And this is the punch, guys. They might be good people. They're not these horrible people. But if they're not believers in Christ, they're going to dole you. They're going to bring you down. We can't make excuses for these people anymore. We have to make sure that we're bringing ourselves around good people and letting them build us up. James 4.4, it hits in the chest. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So if we know that to be true, we have to make changes in our lives. We have to make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with people that are also believers that are going to lift us up. And we have to push away the people that aren't. We need to be a light to this and light to them and love them. But we have to be diligent. Let me see if we're going to follow Jesus. He's the great example. What did he do? He spent his time around his 12 disciples, right? Those are the people that lifted him up. It's really cool how he chose those 12 disciples. Um, during that time in the first century of Rome, the rabbis normally would just go around and preach and apprentices and disciples would go to them and say, hey, can I follow you? And they were like, absolutely. They would take anybody. It didn't matter who they were. And they would have thousands to 10,000 people just following him around. Look what Jesus did. He did the opposite. He went and he chose them deliberately. And he said, hey, come follow me. He didn't ask. He made sure he looked around. He found one he liked and said, you follow me. You're going to be a good one. Come follow me. We need to follow in his footsteps. He only had 12. I think it's really important that we only have a good group of people that we surround ourselves with, who we spend the most time with. Let them build us up. Let them sharpen us up. My second point, just because you have good friends, that's not enough. You got to let them sharpen you. Um, a lot of times we walk around in this fake state of everything's fine. You walk in, you might have good Christian friends or you might go to Bible studies with your good Christian friends and you walk in the room and they say, hey, Sean, how are you doing? And I'm always like, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's good. Yeah, how are the kids? Oh, we're good. We, read, we do Bible studies before bed. Everything's fine and dandy. We know that's not true. We all struggle. We all, you know, we're all sinful. The only way we're going to let them sharpen us is if we be transparent with them. We tell them about issues and they can tell them about ours and then we can pray together and build each other up. We can see here, um, Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from any enemy. So we all struggle with sin. We have to help each other. We have to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, build each other up. Let's look what Jesus did. He wasn't ashamed to hurt people. He wasn't ashamed to ruffle feathers or maybe give someone a little punch to wake him up. He knew that was best for him because he loved him. In Matthew chapter 16, 21 through 23, we see him talking to his disciples, telling them about his death. He was pretty much telling the future, saying, I'm going to be crucified, be resurrected from the dead, and three days later. Peter had good intentions, and he went up to him and said, hey, this isn't going to happen. There's no way. He might have had good intentions, but God knew that his heart wasn't right, that he wasn't thinking clearly. He was thinking things of the, of the world instead of God. So look how Jesus responded to him. He said, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus called him Satan. This is someone that's been walking around with him, laying hands on people, healing him. He just, he, his whole life was surrounded around following Jesus. And here Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's going to hurt. But one thing we got to look here 
what Jesus did, calling people out in the sin like we should be doing. When we see our friends sinning or having struggles, call them out. But also we need to follow in Peter's footstep. He, not only, he took it and he didn't get offended. If that would happen, we come to church and someone would call us Satan, we would get butt hurt and leave and never come back. We wouldn't let that fester in our heart and let us come to reality and let that help us. We would get offended and leave. So it's important not only just pick your good friends, but pick ones that you know you can be transparent with. Let them sharpen you as well as you sharpen them. You have to be transparent. Talk about your sin. We're all sinful. That's the only way we're going to get better. If we do this, guys, the addictions you deal with, the families that are broken, those are going to be restored. And you can lean on your friends and they're going to sharpen you and you're going to sharpen them. And then when you're sharpened and you go into the battlefield alone, you're going to be able to fight sin just as much because they have built you up and you've built them up. It's so important. That's all I've got for you. <laughs> Give it up for these guys. They did great. They're going to be amazing. And uh, as the worship team comes, I'm going to pray you guys out and then we'll get out of here. And that'll be it. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this evening or this morning. And then we ask that you just uh, soften our hearts to receive everything that was said to us. God, that we not only would we just be hearers of the word, Lord, we would be doers. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.